No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and joining me this week on the program, I have nobody. Now, this week I wanted to take the opportunity to kind of do one of the pivots that I was talking about from taking a bit of a summer break that I don't want to just talk to people about their experiences and their views. I also want to share um, information that I think is notable or relevant with the subject and stuff that I happen to know about or want to learn about to share with people. And today's subject um, would be a notable death that is Kurt Cobain that I wanted to talk about. Um, there will be others in the future that I can think of off the top of my head Um but I just want to try this first with something that I'm very familiar with so I can be a little more comfortable with it and not worry so much about getting my facts straight because this is something that I, um, to my own chagrin, am quite well-versed in. So uh, before I dive into that, I just wanted to say thank you, everybody, for listening. I'm seeing some really nice numbers for traffic, so thank you for sharing with people and telling people about the podcast. This is always crazy to me that anybody ever wants to listen to this. It just feels like I'm putting this out to the universe and I'm not worried about who's going to find it or how, how it grows other than just some minor push on my part. So really, I'm letting it happen organically, and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to listen to this stranger in the middle of Minnesota talk about his concerns about death and dying. Uh, recently had a friend of mine express the notion that what he thinks I'm doing is looking for religion, and he's not wrong, but... That's something I hadn't considered when I was starting to do this. It's something that I've been, I don't know, looking at for a long time. But this is, you know, this is something that fascinates me. I wanted to have an opportunity and a reason to dig into this and do some exploration and give myself an assignment. And it's been really fun so far. And it's been really rewarding. And I've learned a lot about myself and a lot about others. And hey, if that happens to manifest in the form of me finding some kind of religion, so be it. That's the way that the course of existence will take me. And I can't fight that if that's where momentum is going. But I would be very surprised if I suddenly had some devout religious experience and converted to um, something stringent where it caused upheaval in my life. But hey, you never know. That being said, uh, if you've got questions, comments, feedback, if you are concerned about me and want to let me know, or if you think I'm doing great and you want to just tell me to keep it up and keep doing more, whatever you want to say, just send it uh, in an email to yourdead2 at gmail.com, Y-O-U-R-E-D-E-A-D-T-O-O at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at yourdead2. I'm generally pretty responsive, so if you reach out, I'll let you know what's going on. And uh, still working on gathering up the info I need for kind of a listener questions or like uh, Q&A thing, which I think could be fun. Just want to make sure that I'm not <laughs> jumping the gun too early and going off just like a handful of emails. So if you've got any questions or if you've got any uh brain teasers you want to send in or just weird tidbits that you want me to talk about on air, I'd be more than happy to do so. Tell your friends, tell them to send it on in, and uh, I'd be more than happy to dig in. So beyond that, without further ado, let's look at the life and death of Kurt Cobain. So, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain is a dead rock star. If you'd ask my parents or immediate family uh, who I would be talking about when you give the subject of notable deaths, this is probably the first thing that would jump to their mind. 
Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, this is going to be a podcast more about kind of the circumstances surrounding Cobain's death and what that meant um, on a more public scale, because it's something that happened that was very notable back in the early 90s, but uh, pop culture has certainly moved on to a point where um, just as much as you'll see people asking what the developing room for photos is on Stranger Things these days, you have people who don't know at all who Nirvana are or who Kurt Cobain was, and they were really important at one time and really important to me at one time, but it's just how the world moves on. But to kind of step back and get in a sense of what we're looking at here, Kurt Cobain was this guy who was born in the Pacific Northwest and had a band called Nirvana, and they had some huge, 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 huge hits that if you've had the radio on in the past week, you still could probably hear. Um, they were a grunge band, uh, which was like punk meets heavy metal, going really, really fast with some melody, and they were huge and kind of the last big guitar band uh, in the early 90s, and they were definitely the big kind of flagship band for Gen X is what they were called, which is really, I know that Kurt really bristled at being um, like a spokesperson for his generation, or being given that moniker, he just was not grandiose enough, like Billy Corgan for sure would have <laughs> gladly worn that mantle, but Kurt Cobain was much more reticent to have done so, but uh, so a bit about the band, they were massive, Smells Like Teen Spirit was their biggest, biggest, biggest hit, uh, the album Nevermind sold millions and millions of copies, it went diamond back at a time when that meant something, uh, people bought actual albums, and I don't want to be the old man complaining about it, it just was a format of consuming media that's gone away, I mean, unless you're doing it very intentionally on Spotify or, you know, Apple Music, whatever service you're using, people kind of don't seem to really observe listening to records as like a integral thing where you listen to the whole thing or want to buy the whole thing or have the whole thing. You know, it's the way we consume media has changed. And I was somebody who was very, very invested in the idea of music and how important it was and being a young, tortured soul teenager who wanted to be, uh, you know, a musician when I grew up and certainly looked up to, not looked up to, God, that's embarrassing. I liked a lot of the art that Kurt Cobain made, and I didn't want to emulate him or his behavior, but I thought he was a cool person in the sense that I also think, like, <laughs> that I also think, like, Batman's a cool person. You know, it's, like, not something relatable or real. It's the idea of this persona of this, like, skinny little misanthrope who, you know, plays the guitar angrily and has long, greasy hair. Like, that's just... That happened to be when the popcorn in my brain was going off and I was a teenager and I saw that and was just like, oh, I think that's cool. And that just kind of made a marker on me. Um, so as a result, I read a lot about this band and uh, Kurt in particular when I was growing up and felt, you know, a sense of kindred suffering for the fact that he was raised in a real small town in the Pacific Northwest and didn't like living in a small town. And I had a similar thing growing up in Wisconsin where I didn't want to be in the small town. I wanted to be in the big city surrounded by culture and weird music and people with eccentric tastes. And I felt uh, trapped. You know, growing up, that's how I felt. Looking back now, I'm 
<laughs> you know, I'm not proud of how dismissive I was of the area I grew up or the nice community that it was, but it just, it wasn't for me. It was like being a flamingo in Minnesota, you know, just, it didn't feel right. So getting back to the subject at hand, uh, I was pretty young when all of this happened. So I had to learn about it through reading and digging up stuff on my own after the fact, but kind of before the internet came to rise. So there was a lot of like books that I had to read where Kurt could kind of tell his own story and create his own mythos before fact checking was as easily done on slippery little musicians and uh, some mythos that they would create. So there was definitely, you know, he was selling the Kool-Aid of like how his life was growing up and how tortured his existence was when in reality he was by and large, fine compared to most people's. He was a child of a divorced home. Uh, that certainly had an effect on him uh, emotionally and uh, informed who he was growing up. And I'm sure it had an effect on how he viewed relationships and how he viewed family dynamics. But the thing is, Kurt died when he was 27. And he had been married and had a child at that point. But it's so hard to extrapolate what you can from a person when their life is cut short so early and you know when I was a kid I thought 27 was the oldest thing in the world and then I remember getting a text from my older brother the day I became older than Kurt Cobain would ever be it was like a reminder of hey you got to keep living keep doing this keep going on like whatever it is you're older than that dum dumb for killing himself and <laughs> you know that's that's me extrapolating that from the text from my older brother but I don't uh I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but, like, I never thought it was a cool thing to have killed himself. I always looked at that as this weird, tragic mistake that this guy made of, huh, you know, all of this stuff that he had going on and all these things, not to judge somebody else's pain or their experience, but you look at it and you think, like, why? You were just a miserable person? I mean, that's it's his hard wiring, I guess, or whatever he was going through. I'm not going to cast judgment on it, but I just never... It was this weird, tragic end and not some romantic, mysterious end. You know, it was not... Again, I didn't think that was cool. I didn't... I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about this without sounding like uh, I romanticize it when really I don't. It's this abrupt, like, mistake that this guy made when he seemingly had so much going on and so much more to do. But that's the problem is that somebody makes a selfish choice and that's the end of them. Um, but... Kurt was born February 20th, 1967, and he was presumed to have died April 5th, 1994, making him 27, uh, putting him in the uh, unfortunate ranks of the 27 Club, which is the uh, organiz <laughs> organization <laughs> grouping of famous musicians or celebrities who died at the age of 27. Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morrison, uh, Amy Winehouse is another one. It's just, it's really sad. It's these young people, Janis Joplin, they, they die early and, the, you know, the candle is burning brightly and then gets snuffed out. We don't get to know what they go on to do, and yet uh, the Rolling Stones and Metallica are seemingly going to tour forever and we'll see why you want to have an end to things eventually. Like, there will be an awkward point for the Stones where, personally, I think they've already passed it, where, guys, you could have hung it up. Like, this is getting weird, but now knowing 70-year-olds in my life, the thought of them rocking out on stage, I'm baffled, but that's beside the point. So 
Kurt was 27 when he died. It was suicide by gunshot wound. He was not in a good place. Uh, Nirvana had been this little teeny tiny band from Aberdeen, uh, Washington. I actually, when I was just out in Seattle, I visited the uh, Pop Culture Museum, and they had a really cool exhibit on Nirvana, and I thought it would be really fun to go and check it out, and I was all excited, and I walked in, uh, having, like, freshly pounded down multiple coffees, walking to the place, and I walk in and look at all this stuff, and I just got so sad, because it was such a reminder of what I thought were these, like, mythic figures. I mean, Dave Grohl, the drummer from Nirvana, has gone on to be the leader of the Foo Fighters, which is one of the biggest selling bands, I mean... The odds of somebody doing that, it's like it's like anybody cared about wings and then you go and find out like, oh, the Beatles were a thing. Like Paul McCartney has not been able to be anything other than Paul McCartney, so that analogy doesn't quite work. But point is, they were just these kind of scummy kids from a small town who were playing hard and fast heavy metal and Kurt had this crazy grain to his voice that when he screamed, he could do it on pitch and would have these really great melodies and write these little pop songs. Like, that was kind of the dirty secret of uh, their first big album, Bleach. And I say big, meaning, like, the first, like, actual album that they did on Sub Pop Records. Bleach was this grimy, like, self-effacing, like, shoegazing, heavy metal sludge with elements of punk thrown in there. But there was just this one pop song called... Well, I mean, there's other pop songs kind of on there, but About a Girl is just this total... Paul McCartney Beatles ripoff that's just great. It's this shining little piece of pop music that you wonder, like, God, man, if this guy had stuck around, would he go through this little two-minute pop song phase? But um, they uh, they made Bleach, and there wasn't a ton of reception to it. I mean, there's a little bit of buzz to it, but uh, the scene for that kind of music wasn't really huge yet, but they kind of built up to the same wave as like Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and uh, the Pumpkins and just all these weird bands from all over that were very guitar focused and very um, just passionate. That was almost like a response to the corporate staleness of a lot of the hair metal of the 80s and a lot of the sheen and production of the pop music that was really, really popular at the time. So there was this push for emotional authenticity and like um diy ethos and not selling out and uh, not doing things to be accessible and so of course like as a little you know 13 year old that really latched on you know every kid goes through a phase where they're obsessed with the idea of hypocrites and that was a big uh grounding point for me of just <laughs> supposed authenticity in music. Anyway, uh, they had their album Nevermind that was at the forefront of all of that. Um, they just blew up. They just went from these three kids touring in a van overnight. And when I say kids, I mean, like, seriously, barely in their early 20s and playing three chord songs on their guitars. And they just were massive, just absolutely massive, filling arenas suddenly. And this band that had been kind of doing their own thing and flying by their own flag suddenly had legions of people just screaming for them. And they were playing massive festivals and they didn't really know how to handle it. Um, like Spinal Tap, they'd gone through their share of drummers, but by this point they'd gotten Dave Grohl on the drums and he was phenomenal. And he seemed to handle it okay. Uh, the bass player, Chris Novoselic, seemed to handle it better than 
uh, Kurt did, but Kurt just really, really reacted poorly to being in the limelight and uh, having a depressive tendency to him and then also the fact that he was a pretty solid heroin addict that made things incredibly difficult and the band kind of just limped along after that point and they were kind of like pushing a rope trying to get stuff done because Kurt was just wanting to I mean this is a gross oversimplification but at that point in his life he'd become strung out and he'd been having uh, some health problems that he talked about at length in different books about he would have this nauseating stomach pain and he would take heroin to make it go away well okay heroin's gonna make anything go away i'm not saying that from experience but it's a pretty big salve for any wound right it's not gonna be a modest solution for a modest problem it's overkill for anything uh the health problems were probably exacerbated by the fact that he played the guitar left-handed when he did not technically have to Uh, i've known a lot of lefties who learn how to play right I mean, right-handed, not right as in the correct way. But the theory is that by playing left-handed, the weight of the guitar and the way the strap pulled down on his back exacerbated scoliosis, which would pinch a nerve in his stomach and cause him this debilitating stomach pain. And um, he claimed, anyway, that heroin uh, made it go away. Uh, He'd also, at this point, been involved in a relationship with Courtney Love, who was a scene person as well in that grunge era that she was um, fronting the band Hole at the time and they were kind of the counterpoint to Nirvana that they were this dirty grimy aggressive girl fronted band that uh, had a real take no shit take no prisoners kind of attitude and they were you know very into each other they were very kindred and uh, found themselves young in a drugged relationship and married and uh, inadvertently found themselves pregnant as well and they became parents at a very young age and god help them they seemed to handle it as good as they could i can't really cast stones for this i know they had a nanny um but heroin was definitely a thing that was happening in their household and they've not shied away from that uh being in my 30s when I had my first child here, I I don't know how they dealt with it in their 20s being drug addicts, but I'm not here to shame them for it. I'm just sharing what I know of their story. So uh, at that point, um, dealing with all this, they had gone to Minnesota to Pachyderm Studios and recorded In Utero, which is one of my favorite albums. It's a weird, messy, just gross album that feels like indigestion the whole way through and it's not a fun happy record but there's a lot of crazy pop moments on it that uh if you can if you can get past the intentional inaccessibility of it i think there's a lot of good there but uh they tried to tour in support of it but basically because of kurt's general shambling life at that point they couldn't get it done and he actually had a suicide attempt in rome uh, he chugged a bunch of alcohol, I think it was champagne, and then took a bunch of rohypnol, which I don't understand how or why he had it, um, but they discovered him dead on the floor and had to resuscitate him and took him to the hospital, and it was a whole big thing, but it was not really like known widely. It was kind of hush-hush brushed under the carpet because they were in Italy. They were able to get it kind of um, discreetly handled. But... Uh, this involved getting Kurt back to the States, and uh, this was late 93, early 94 at this point. And he 
had become erratic and had been disappearing a bit and uh, been falling deeper into his addiction. And at one point, his wife, Courtney, had staged an intervention for him with um, associated friends and family, and he didn't handle it well. I mean, why would anybody? But eventually he relented and went to rehab and didn't seem to be... I mean, all reports indicate that he was not of any particularly dangerous mental health at that point. I don't know if they had thought that the suicide attempt that had happened in Rome, if that was an accident, which, I, you know, certainly doesn't look like it, but uh, they didn't seem to understand the gravity of what was happening with him or that he was such a threat to himself. But uh, Kurt scaled the wall of the rehab place and just ran off. And he flew from wherever this was back home and on the flight home he actually this has kind of come out in the recent years that he sat next to Duff McKagan of the Guns N' Roses he was the bass player on the flight back to Seattle um Nirvana and Guns N' Roses had a real rivalry of uh egos and ethos that Nirvana was this scrappy little DIY three-piece band and Guns N' Roses was a big bombastic five-piece with, you know, huge production values and uh, they both had flip sides of egocentric frontmen, one of which who was a self-loathing introvert, the other who was a <laughs> self-loathing extrovert and Axel and Kurt did not get along. But uh, Duff McKagan, the bass player, was actually a very cool guy and uh, I've heard honestly nothing but good things about him and he has shared his story of how he sat next to Kurt on the flight back to Seattle by coincidence and he knew something was up like you can just feel when somebody's kind of exuding a bad energy of like uh oh, yeah, not not harm but danger or something just negativity that you know is like there's something something is not safe and good here um he tried to talk to him he got him to open up a bit I mean they're kindred spirits in that who else can identify the rock and roll lifestyle than somebody else who's in the midst of it so they they were able to talk and like connect a little bit and um seemingly kept Kurt going for a bit but uh the long and short of it is at that point Kurt had gone off the grid uh his wife Courtney had hired a private investigator to find him uh Kurt had been becoming more and more obsessed with guns and safety in his uh, recent months and paranoia as his um, drug addiction grew and he had gotten a shotgun and uh, went out to his kind of like a garden shed like a a little atrium in the back of their house in Seattle and uh, took a massive amount of heroin prepped it up in a shot wrote a suicide note seemingly gave himself this massive dose of heroin um, because he was either intending to overdose or because he was just at that point addicted enough to the point that he needed a large dose and then uh, shot himself with a shotgun and died. That was April 5th, 1994, and he was 27 years old. He was later found by an electrician who was coming to install a security system. And uh, I don't remember a lot of this, what was going on in the world, because at this point I would have been maybe 10 years old. I would have been in like fourth grade. So this was just a bit beyond my grasp. But from what I've read, looking back on it, it was this massive uh, story and sca not scandal, but I mean, just huge news story. This supposed uh, front man for a generation kills himself. Um, 
people all over were beside themselves, and uh, young people were particularly saddened and affected, of course, but certainly people who'd grown up with the Beatles and the Stones and Led Zeppelin, anybody could understand losing an idol figure like that, somebody who seemingly speaks to you through their music and they take their own life. It's it's heavy. It's It's sad and it's tragic, but it's also this weird misstep in his life of like he was not like if you listen to the last podcast on the left if they if you listen to their episode about kurt and courtney and they talk a bit about murder theories too that um what if kurt was murdered or somebody put a hit out on him um i don't personally buy into it for a number of reasons that they talk about as well but um kurt was just kind of a miserable self-loathing person who just he had major depressive issues and just really was somebody who struggled with happiness and connection with people and this was not a blip on the radar you know this was something that he was bound and determined to do he completed the act of suicide I mean this is not something that you just ease yourself into he very deliberately did it he wrote a note and uh made sure that there was no saving him so I don't really, you know, I've talked to people who were around and aware of what was happening, and they've talked about how, you know, sad and surprising it was, but there's almost this attitude of like, yeah, well, I mean, what are you going to do? It's just, look at the guy. You know, it's it's really sad that you can just kind of read it on a person of like, it's tragic, and you can see it tainting the the memory going backwards of like, well, shouldn't somebody have recognized? Well, yeah, it's... All the things in his life kind of led him to this point, and it's just, it's it's bizarre. It's it's hard, frustrating stuff that you're never going to know what this artist could do. It's part of the, the mystique of Jimi Hendrix or, you know, the frustration of knowing Amy Winehouse only put out such a short discography of, like, really, that's all that's going to happen? Like, or... Um, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, these people who die at such a young age, you think we never get to know. You know, it's it's just, it's this strange thing. So for me, getting into the band after the fact, too, like basically by the time I was coming online as a teenager, you know, like kind of opening up to the world and really developing a sense of identity, I had watched kind of enough MTV and listened to my brother's CDs enough to, like, get exposed to it tangentially, and I don't... I don't think it was even Smells Like Teen Spirit. I think it was more, like, In Bloom or Lithium, something that was way more poppy that got me into them, but basically I took my brother's CD and just kept it forever, and I was just obsessed with them. Like, the idea of the suicide didn't do anything for the intrigue it was basically like well they've made this music and that's it now you know there's no more there is a small canon of this produced music and that is it uh you can listen to any of it but there's never going to be any more um that was kind of an intriguing finality to it like the scarcity of it but i just loved the the slick danger and the catchy pop of it that there was just they did the fuzzy, distorted guitars and inscrutable lyrics and, you know, raging rock and roll. They just did it so perfectly for the zeitgeist and 
they just keyed in on what pop culture was looking for at that time. You know, it was like... <sighs> I've heard the idea put forth that had Einstein not been the one to first publish the uh, theory of relativity, that there were several other... Uh, physicists and scientists at that time around the world working on similar mathematics and that it was almost like this evolutionary inevitability of a conscious um, worldwide that something would give rise to this, that uh, if it wasn't expressed here, it would express here. If it was not manifested here, it would manifest elsewhere because we were at a collective point where this would happen. And it's like that. this was this, if you trace the history of rock and roll, there's always this stopping point at grunge where you say, and then here was the reaction to everything that came before. And yes, I understand that music and trends, that's how they operate is everything is kind of a reaction to what came before. But with Nirvana in particular, it was so of that particular moment that it just, it feels so hyper-specific that I can't imagine them ever becoming popular, anything like that becoming popular again in my lifetime. And that's part of what was so sad about uh, going to the exhibit in Seattle was that it was just a real stark reminder of like, oh, this shit is totally passe. This is old men music like this stuff predates me and i'm in my late 30s and it's already like nobody cares about this this is like this thing that happened 30 years ago that you know this guy died and he was a junkie and like uh, but he made all these good songs you know it's it's in the same wing as the Jimi hendrix and the prince exhibits of like shit these people are dead and becoming uh you know irrelevant unrecognized and and yet at the flip side had he not died would they be as highly regarded? I think about, like, again, talking about the Dark Knight, Heath Ledger with his portrayal of the Joker, would that be so highly lauded had he not died before the movie even came out? Like, you can't help but wonder about the impact of the death of the performer on the art. Um, but, man, those those records that they put out were just amazing. So when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, the internet was kind of coming online around that same time, like really becoming home accessible, like mid to late 90s. That's when it really propagated in American households. And I was really able to dig into the idea of B-sides and bootlegs and uh, rarities, you know, like weird esoteric music that didn't get onto an album that you could collect somewhere. And I was enthralled with that love that there's still stuff from that period of my life that I'm still looking for, like tracks of. Um, I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago about uh, finding a song by the Smashing Pumpkins that I was obsessed, absolutely enthralled with this little 10-second snippet that had appeared in a medley of like unreleased stuff that they did. And I finally found the full demo of the song you know, 15 years after the fact, and it was just this beautiful revelation but also completely demystifying because it was just, oh, that's all it is. It's just this one little demo, and there's nothing more to it. I uh, built it up too much in my head. But to the flip side of that, Nirvana had just the, f the few albums. They had Bleach, which was their kind of, their debut, this little grunge album. They had Nevermind, which was the massive blockbuster, 25 million or whatever selling album. They had the quick cash in of uh, Incesticide, just a bunch of B-sides and like live stuff that they collected onto one album. And then In Utero, which was their last album. And then right after that, their live album, the Unplugged in New York album where they stripped all their songs down which is amazing and uh not just for Nirvana fans like that's a widely recognized good album of uh clean songs but like I had that canon you know I had that all 
set and memorized and I knew that and I was well versed in it you know I knew all the songs I was learning to play everything and I was just very they were very much my jam Nirvana was my my favorite band and I always read about their final recording sessions where they'd done just a couple more studio sessions nothing substantial but just one or two songs kind of one-off stuff on that final tour and it was always this kind of like mysterious forbidden like what was this will this ever see the light of day these these songs that you could hear the occasional crumb bum bootleg of like a live version of the song where there's none of the punch none of the organization it's like a really rough version of this song called you know you're right and it was this kind of just rumored you know spoken of in hushed tones of like oh they're this lost recording of this amazing song that never came out and it was always tantalizing, but it, you know, there was no way to track it down. There was, there was a time when like news groups and uh, bulletin boards were the only way that people were communicating about this stuff online. There weren't people like as substantially trading tracks back and forth, and Napster was still uh, a gleam in Sean Parker's eye. You know, there was no way to really conveniently share mass amounts of data across the internet. Uh, cut to going to college. And having forgotten all about it, and I had um, access to a music sharing service which shall go unnamed for legality reasons, and just going through the gamut of opening that door of, all right, anything you can think of, type it in, is it out there, download it, acquire it. You know, back in the day when you had to buy a whole shitty $17 album for one song that you wanted, this was, this was, this was, insanity this was the wild west to just get anything you want and was loving this just rediscovering all this music that i'd never really thought about in years and then something pops up on like mtv online or something like that that this nirvana song leaked and it was you know you're right it was this fabled lost song and not only was it this lost song but it was this it was the studio version. It was this crisp, clean, produced version. And I immediately sought it out, hunted it down, downloaded it, and it was amazing. It was the spookiest thing in the world because this guy had been dead since I had been listening to their music. It was like hearing a ghost. He just, to hear not just a new song, but the long fabled, long lost final song. And it was good. It felt dangerous. It felt heavy. It felt cathartic. You know, there was all this stuff that you could ascribe onto it because you had your own experience with this, you know, down through history that it was this thing that nobody else could tell you about or tell you how to feel about it because it was kind of sealed in time because Kurt was already dead. So to hear this brand new song was just so spooky. It was so chilling and it... I was happy to see that it made a bit of an impact when it came out. Like people sat up and noticed like, oh shit, new Nirvana song. So that was just a really cool, very cool experience to have having grown up with uh, being obsessed with that band and not having any more come from Kurt. My, My wife actually, before we were married, gave me a box set of Nirvana stuff that I hadn't uh, been aware of and had tons of unreleased stuff kind of related to that. And even the little snippets you get out of that, there's just, I mean, the rec- some of the recording quality, you know, it's just at home on a boombox, so it's real rough. But 
it's just crazy to hear how this guy who was so tortured and so miserable and so misanthropic just would craft these beautiful shining little pop songs on his guitar at home and just didn't want to be here that was just it's the craziest juxtaposition of man this guy just doesn't like anything and just wants to create these little gems and it's just it's wild but since then um it's it's been you know a a pop culture monument you know something that people you refer to on retrospectives about the 90s and uh it was the end of the the grunge era that all ended with nirvana going away and uh pumpkins had their day in the limelight and uh, bush came along as nirvana light uh admittedly i was a very big bush fan i liked them a lot but that was kind of the end of the era for a lot of guitar rock and dance and rap and hip-hop really came out swinging in a big way in the late 90s and uh for somebody who was so invested in you know guitar-driven rock i felt like the world moved on without me uh, but it it's just it's crazy stuff man i i, I really I'm so frustrated by the idea of suicide and the denial of self to others. You know, that's that's always been so strange. I've seen that expressed by people who have been survivors of it, people who have lost people close to them. I've talked about how it feels so cruel on the part of the person who completes the act that you're just you're left with the pain then they don't suffer anymore you're left to move on with your life and that's just it always has seemed so strange and selfish to me but and especially now having a child that i don't i don't understand how he could do that to a family however unhealthy he might have been or however toxic he may have been with courtney it just is so it just he must have been so sad he must have been so alone or so hurt and i don't again i, I don't want to judge but it just i don't understand it and that's i suppose part of the problem is that you just can't rationalize it but uh yeah if you're at all interested in still listening at this point i would highly recommend checking out um either if you haven't for whatever reason just listen to nevermind it, you'll recognize half the songs for sure and the others will blow you away or check out their unplugged album if heavy rock is not your thing but i i still think of them as one of the greatest bands ever and i have to dial it back when i talk about it with people in public because i come across as like a um a religious convert you know screaming about or an acolyte telling people about the the grandness of nirvana but you can't talk about it without talking about kurt and the fact that he committed suicide at 27 and it just an abrupt tragic end to a band that we'll never know i'm curious about the bizarro reality the alternate universe where they existed and he's turning 60 something and doesn't like who he is but i don't know um so this has been the first entry in the notable death series and i'll be doing more as time goes on but i'll still keep having guests on i love talking to people about death but uh, if you've got thoughts about this or things that i should know things that i missed let me know write in your dead to at gmail.com find me on twitter um and let's argue about music all right talk to you guys later mm-hmm.